This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. And remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. What makes Marilyn Monroe, why is she still a live member of our talk all the time? It has nothing to do with the scandal of her death. It's because she's the most talented motion picture actress alive in her day. Sometimes, you know, the work is so, you know, you, you, you try to be true, and uh, uh, you feel sometimes it's on the verge of a kind of craziness, but it isn't really craziness. It's really getting the truest part of yourself out, and it's very hard, you know. I should think that if Marilyn could be aware of uh, the sort of legendary quality that uh, that she herself inspired, I should think that no one would be more surprised than she because she never really felt worthy. She would feel that after her years of search that uh, she had been finally and truly adopted. There's never been anyone quite like Marilyn Monroe. You know, since this article is going to be on fame, I like to stay here and now. Fame is fickle. And I know it. It has its compensation. It does. But it also has its drawbacks. And I've experienced both. Fame and happiness, it seems to me, is certainly temporary and a partial happiness. Or a waif. And I'm not calling myself an orphan, but I was brought up a waif. I was brought up, I think, differently than the average American child. Because, no, but the average American child is sort of, you know, like to be happy, you know. To be happy, that's the, that's it. Gee, happiness wasn't anything I ever took for granted. I love to play. I didn't like the world around me too much. It was kind of grim. She, she uh, had that quality, and she could project it. It was uh, unearthly, just magic. She was an electric light. So it's not just that, the, okay, fame will go by. Uh, you know, so long, I, I've had you, fame. Marilyn had it all. There's a lot of words that people use to describe Marilyn Monroe. Troubled, difficult, beautiful, sad, lonely, constantly rejected. I can honestly say that I thought I knew her story, but I didn't really know shit. She had probably one of the saddest lives that I've ever researched. I can honestly say that. And if you think you know Marilyn Monroe, I can personally guarantee you, I don't think you do. I have a newfound respect for this woman, for what she had been through her entire childhood, along with after she reached worldwide fame. Even after her death, she is still one of the most recognized figures ever. This is part one of the death of Marilyn Monroe. And this 
is her story. Before I kick this episode off, I do have to give a very special shout out to Juliet over in London, England. She's been a longtime listener and supporter of this podcast, and I thank you very, very much, and this episode is dedicated to you. Marilyn Monroe was born June 1st, 1926. She was born Norma Jean Mortensen in Los Angeles. Uh, when she was baptized, she became Norma Jean Baker. Her mom was Gladys Pearl Baker Mortensen. I know that's a mouthful, but that's what she went by. Her mom's maiden name was Monroe, which is what Marilyn ended up adopting after she changed her name. Marilyn Monroe's father was unknown, but officially listed on the birth certificate as it being Edward Mortensen, even though... It more than likely wasn't. There's still a little bit debate of who her father actually was because Gladys was having an affair with a man that she worked with uh, named Stan Gifford. And I believe they actually lived in about the same apartment building. And soon after uh, Marilyn was born, Stan Gifford moved out and left and pretty much never acknowledged her. Marilyn truly did not know who her father was, but she did believe it was Stan Gifford. Now, a little bit of background on this. Her mother was extremely mentally ill. Um, she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and she was what they would call bipolar now. And that is a real thing that would run in Marilyn's mom's side of the family. Her grandmother died shortly after being committed uh, for having paranoid delusions, and this was when Marilyn was about at age two. Uh, her grandfather was also mentally ill, and it was one of those things that Marilyn really, really feared uh, throughout her entire adult life. She was really scared of pretty much just losing her mind. Her mom was a negative cutter at Consolidated Film Industries, which is where she had met Stan Gifford and had the affair. She really didn't have any siblings. Her first marriage was to Robert Baker in 1919, I believe. They had two children together. Gladys and Robert Baker had a daughter and a son together, so Marilyn did have two half-siblings. In 1921, Gladys filed for divorce. And Robert Baker, there's still a little debate on whether or not the kids were taken away from Gladys because of her mental stability, or if Robert Baker just took the kids back to his home state of Kentucky. Now, her one half-brother, Robert, he died of tuberculosis in 1933. Uh, Marilyn never met him. She didn't find out she had a sister who was named Bernice until Marilyn was about 12 years old, and she did meet her as an adult, but they would kind of lose touch over the years as, you know, Marilyn got into Hollywood and stuff like that. 
Um, Gladys married Edward Mortensen in 1924. Uh, they separated before she got pregnant with Marilyn Monroe, and their divorce was not even final until about 1928. Within two weeks of having Marilyn, Gladys, with her mental stability, and uh, for financial reasons, she really couldn't care for her. So, like I had mentioned, two weeks after Marilyn Monroe was born, she was put into a foster home until the age of seven. She was put in a home with Albert and Ida Bolander in a town called Hawthorne, which wasn't too far away. Uh, Gladys actually lived there with them until her work schedule became a little bit too much, and she eventually moved out. Now, the Bolanders did want to adopt Marilyn Monroe, but Gladys would not let them. Um, she would, after she had moved out, she would come visit on the weekends and take Marilyn out sightseeing and take her to the movies and stuff like that. But when she moved out afterward, it, she was not a big part of her life. And that all changed in August of 1933. Uh, Gladys bought a home in Hollywood with uh, a couple other people that went in on it. She takes Marilyn to live with her and a couple who also lived there that were lodgers. They were named George and Maud Atkinson. Now this was okay, you know, for a little bit. Marilyn, you know, she was kind of confused at this point you know she had her mom had been in and out of her life and she was actually happy with the Bolanders but her mom was pretty much fucking crazy and wouldn't let them adopt her uh, and you'll see this pattern throughout Marilyn's life to where she wanted to be adopted by several people um, but her mom would put the axe on it pretty quick now in 1934 Gladys has a mental breakdown and after being in a rest home for a little bit, she is committed to Metropolitan State Hospital. Now, Marilyn at this point in time becomes a ward of the state. She does continue to live in that home that Gladys had bought with those other people, and they were still taking in lodgers. Now, all her rights and you know all the rights of of Glad or of Gladys and Marilyn were given to a friend of Gladys's by the name of Grace Goddard. Like I had said, Marilyn still lived in the home with George and Maude Atkinson, and they were taking in lodgers. And it was, it is stated in a later interview by Marilyn that this was the first time that she was sexually assaulted. Um, how the story goes is one of the lodgers pretty much came into her room one night, sexually assaulted her i'm not sure to what extent but from what marilyn had said in later interviews she was pretty much um, raped at the age of eight years old and as much as i hate to say this this would not be the last time that this would happen to marilyn apparently he goes in and sexually assaults her and gives her money he gives her money to buy some candy and to not tell anybody. Now, when Marilyn does report this assault, she is told by the owners of the house that 
there's no way this guy could have done that. He was a good Christian man and that his money was very important to paying a lot of the bills in the house. So her claims were pretty much brushed under the table. And it is said from this, Marilyn Monroe um, developed a stutter, which, I mean, it's a, it was a traumatic experience for her. But yeah, she did develop a stutter after this happened. And after this, Marilyn did become quite withdrawn. So it is at this point, while she's living with the Atkinsons still, the Atkinsons run into some financial trouble. This is the Great Depression. So they go to move back to England, but they wanted to adopt Marilyn and take her with them. Uh, and of course, her mom from the institution refused. Uh, she said no. She claimed that she was going to be getting out soon. And so after the Atkinsons move, she ends up moving with in with the neighbors, the Griffins. Uh, they also wanted to adopt her, but her mother said no. So at this point in time, Grace Goddard, who technically had not become Goddard yet, her maiden name was McKee, Grace McKee becomes her legal guardian. Now, since she was not married yet, she really couldn't afford to take care of Marilyn, so she puts her in the Hollygrove Orphanage in L.A. Marilyn would remain at this orphanage for the next two years until about the age of 11. And, you know, recounting some memories of her being there, she absolutely hated it. Um, she referred to it as a child factory. Uh, she had chores, you know, she had to, you know, clean the bathrooms, clean the kitchen, cook food, all this other stuff. And she did say uh, in a later interview, it was, quote, one of the worst experiences of my life. End quote. So Grace, who would actually visit her often, um, she would take her to the movies and she would bring her magazines. And that's what that was kind of Marilyn's escape. She would sneak up onto the roof and read these magazines about Hollywood actresses. And that was that was her thing. I mean, she loved it. That was how she escaped reality. Now, there is one story that Marilyn does tell about the orphanage. And it's pretty fucking sad. In this orphanage, how it would go is on your birthday, you would get a cake. And there would be candles on this cake. Now, since the orphanage could not afford a cake every time somebody had a birthday, what they would do was they would let you blow out the candles on that cake and then they would take it away from you uh, and go to preserve it for the next birthday, which is pretty fucking sad all in its own right. So in August of 1935, Grace McKee, this is when she actually marries a man named Irving Goddard, and Marilyn moves back in with Grace and Irving. Now, this was all great and everything, but in a later therapy session is when a lot of things come to light about Marilyn's past. And she says that in late 1937, when she was 11 years old, Irving comes home drunk one night and comes into her room and sexually assaults her. Now, Marilyn didn't say anything to Grace because of past responses. She figured she would get shut down, nobody would believe her, 
you know, everything like that. But Grace kind of suspected something. So she sends Marilyn to live with her great aunt, Ida Martin, in Compton. Now, in this same therapy session, uh, Marilyn kind of opens up a little bit about more of molestation in her past, including while she was living with the Bolanders um, at age six or seven, a neighbor had molested her. She claims that around that time, a cousin had touched her inappropriately. And while she was living with great aunt Ida, that a neighbor girl had also sexually molested her at one point in time. And you got to remember, this is pretty much all before the age of 11. So this brings us to about fall of 1938. Marilyn moves in with Grace's Aunt Anna. Now this environment was actually very nice. It was very stable. Anna treated her very, very well. And Marilyn kind of starts dreaming about becoming this big famous actress. And Anna actually encouraged it. She thought it was great. Um, but it is at this time as well that Marilyn is told about her mother uh, trying to escape the institution that she was in. And she was moved to a more secure facility in San Francisco. So she was not around. Now in s we head forward a few years to September of 1941. Marilyn is very happy, doing very well. She's enrolled at high school at Van Nuys. And uh, it's at this point in time that Anna is deemed too old to care for her. So at the age of 16, Marilyn Monroe drops out of school and marries the next door neighbor who she was dating. Um, a guy by the name of James Doherty. He was 21 at the time. She was 16. He had a good job, had security. I mean, it was, it was pretty much not a bad matchup. What it is, is he was the next door neighbor kid. Now, Jim's mom knew some of Marilyn's past uh, with the orphanages and the foster homes and she pretty much convinced Jim to hurry up and marry her so she didn't have to go back to the orphanage or any kind of foster home whatsoever. So on June 19th, 1942, at the age of 16, Marilyn Monroe gets married. Anna paid for the whole thing, planned it out and everything. Uh, it was said to be a good marriage. Jim, like I said, was a good guy. Uh, he was pretty happy with the, you know, situation. They had been dating for a little while, so, I mean, they knew each other. Uh, but Marilyn Monroe was, was pretty bored, you know. And in later interviews, she said she wasn't really happy, but she wasn't really sad either. She said she was just bored, you know, just kind of going through the motions, I guess you could say. Uh, it is at this point in time that Marilyn attempts suicide for the first time. Uh, she was, you know, like I said, she wasn't happy, but she wasn't sad. And she just, you know, tried to, tried to kill herself at this point. Um, just cause 
she was tired of the mundane life and everything that had happened to her up up till this point um now jim ends up signing up for the merchant marines during world war ii and becomes a physical training instructor uh and he is sent to live on catalina island so him and marilyn monroe moved to catalina island and are there for a while um, until about 1944 when Jim is shipped overseas. Now Marilyn ends up moving in with his mother in Burbank and gets a job at the radio plane company in Burbank, California. Now she's there. Um, I believe she's like spray coating plastic on planes or whatever. You know, it was basically a wartime job. Until about 1945, when Army photographer, a guy by the name of David Conover, uh, he visits the plant, uh, and he's basically there on a promotion. He's he's there to help the war effort. What it is is they go there, and they take pictures of some of the ladies working to help the war effort, and, you know, it boosts morale for the guys overseas and stuff like that, so... He ends up spotting Marilyn at the age, age of 18, and he asks her to model for some photos. And it ends up turning out pretty good. She ends up getting the magazine cover of the photos that he was taking, the photo shoot that he was doing. And um, she loved it. She absolutely loved it. And apparently everybody else loved it too, because she starts kind of, you know, doing side modeling on the weekends and stuff like that. Um, she eventually gets signed by Blue Book Modeling Agency and starts lightening up her hair a little bit to that uh, ever-so-famous platinum blonde that she ended up being. Now, all this was great and everything until Christmas of 1945. Her husband, Jim, comes home on leave and... You know, at this point in time, she is a full-time model, and Jim noticed that she had changed, that her top priority was not just as a wife anymore, but her top priority was a model, because she had finally found something that she loved doing, and that she was good at. So, that put a pretty huge strain on their relationship, and by the time Jim got shipped back out in early of 1946, the marriage was pretty much done. Uh, she filed for divorce a few weeks after he left, and the divorce ended up being final towards the end of 1946, and this is when her career absolutely takes off. Now, her modeling at this point is more than paying the bills. Uh, she's trying to break into acting at this point in time, too. Now, she gets noticed by Howard Hughes. The legendary Howard Hughes sees a pinup photo of her in 1946, and he wants to meet her and see if uh, she wants to be on film to see if that was something she'd be interested in. And, of course, this is literally her huge dream, okay? This agent that she had at the time uses Howard Hughes's interest in her to play that card with the other studios. So he ends up going to Fox Studios, and a guy named Ben Lyon, who's a casting director there, 
sees Marilyn, and he's just blown away. He sees her as the next Gene Harlow. And Marilyn Monroe was a huge fan of Gene Harlow. So that whole situation right there for her was like, yes, you know, let's do this. And her first contract, she was awarded in 1946, and it was a six-month conditional contract, and she would be making $75 a week. Now, that equals out to about $1,000 a week in today's money. Now, after that first six months, she would be reviewed for another six-month contract. And it is also at this time that Ben Lyon doesn't really think that Norma Jean Doherty is any kind of movie star quality name. Well, he was always obsessed with a stage actress by the name of Marilyn Miller. So he suggests that name. Well, Marilyn then suggests her mother's maiden name is Monroe. Ben Lyon loved it. He's like, it rolls off the tongue. It's got that star quality. So... In 1946, Marilyn Monroe was born. Now, her first run of the movies was not a good one. Through 1946 and 1947, she was used as an extra quite a bit. She had one line uh, in a movie, and her part actually got cut out. So in 1947, Fox drops her. And she ends up going into theater roles. Um, she gets a lead role in a performance called Glamour Preferred. And starts taking acting lessons at the Actors Lab. Now, her role in Glamour Preferred was, was pretty good. It was very well received. But, this is during McCarthyism. Where actors and actresses or anybody in the movie industry is getting blacklisted and pretty much being not allowed to do shit because they would, you know, somehow be connected to being a communist sympathizer. If you're not familiar with McCarthyism, you should definitely look it up. It's a really fucked up point in Hollywood. It was literally, you could look at somebody and say, oh, well, I heard them talking about you know, communism and how great it was and all this shit. And they would be literally blacklisted immediately and they would never fucking work in Hollywood again. And her being involved with the actor's studio, it almost ruined her career, but it didn't. And the reason is because the founders of the actor's lab were blacklisted. Okay, so in 1948, she ends up getting a six-month contract with Columbia Pictures, and she gets second billing on a burlesque movie where she actually sings for the first time, and Columbia Pictures did love this movie, but the uh, head dick over there, a guy by the name of Harry Kahn, did not renew her contract. Now, word on the street was that he did not renew it because he had invited her uh, onto his yacht for a weekend, uh, of doing, you know, probably whatever, and she refused, so her contract get, did not get renewed. Now, that is just Hollywood rumor, but I figured I should let you know that. Now, in late 1948 and 1949, shit is really rough for the young Marilyn Monroe. 
She has no job whatsoever. She's, you know, barely scraping by. So a guy by the name of Tom, Tom Kelly offers her $50 to pose completely nude. And she agrees to it. She needed the money so bad. So on May 27th, 1949, she poses nude for the first and only time. Um, she actually changed her name to hide her identity. But these pictures, when they came out, were fucking huge. These pictures sold more than 8 million copies. She was on playing cards, calendars, everything you could ever imagine. And believe it or not, uh, one of the skimpy bikini pictures that she took ended up being the cover fo photo that launched Playboy magazine in 1953. So after this... Johnny Hyde picks her up. He's an agent with William Morris Agency. Uh, and he gets her a role in a movie called Asphalt Jungle. Now, Asphalt Jungle got great reviews. It's actually regarded as a pretty good movie. I have not seen it, so I couldn't fucking tell you personally. But from everything I've read, it was pretty damn decent. And she had a really good role in it. She did a great job. And as Karma would have it, at the premiere of Asphalt Jungle in Los Angeles, her ex-husband, Jim Doherty, who was now a cop, was hired to keep fans behind the barricades. So, there's a fun little twist for you right there. So, in 1950, uh, she gets a role in this movie called All About Eve, and... It gets really, really good reviews. So Johnny Hyde, her agent at this time, starts getting her more roles. And everything is starting to look up for Marilyn. Now on December 10th, 1950, Fox Studios contacts her again and wants her to do some more screen tests. And everything really is starting to look up for Marilyn until December 17th when Johnny Hyde has a heart attack and ends up dying seven days later. Now it is at this point in time, Marilyn was very distraught. This was the one guy that was getting things done for her, that believed in her. I mean, he was making shit happen, and they had become very close at this point in time. So Marilyn uh, has another suicide attempt. She takes a bunch of sleeping pills, um, and she goes as far as even writing a suicide note, leaving all of her personal belongings to a friend of hers. Um, and obviously she did not die. She started recovering. Uh, she took a little bit of time off, a couple months. But in 1951, you know, after she does recover from that, Fox Studios puts her to work on a movie called Young As You Feel. And after this, this is when she started getting really, really big. Uh, she gets uh, a cover of Life magazine. Uh, she gets asked to present an Oscar. She starts getting more and more movie roles. And she's also at this time enrolled at UCLA where she is studying literature and art appreciation. So in 1951, she gets a new Fox contract for seven years. And at the age of 25, Marilyn Monroe had finally gotten to where she wanted to be 
She is an extremely good place. And in 1952, she does a movie called Clash by Night, which is a huge success. Half of the reason that Clash by Night was a huge success is because those nude photos that she took back in 1949 somehow managed to resurface. Now, usually in this scenario, you would think it would hurt her career. It would be a scandal, but it did the exact opposite. It boosted her fame like crazy. After this, she's considered a sex symbol. And, you know, with that comes her starting to get exploited. You know, she starts um, getting typecasted more as the dumb, sexy blonde you know, all this good stuff. So what she does in response to that is she decides to start taking acting classes. Uh, she wants to be taken a lot more seriously as an actress. So she moves to New York for a little bit and works with Lee Strasberg at the actor's studio. Now, Lee is literally one of the most influential acting coaches that Hollywood has ever seen. Along with this, she starts becoming very, very self-conscious about her acting ability, when before she would just kind of go and wing it. Now she's having her acting coaches on movie sets with her, and this is where she starts getting the reputation of being a little bit difficult. Basically what it was was she was just so self-conscious because everybody had seen her as a dumb blonde, a sex symbol, and she was just getting typecasted in those roles so bad that it was really, really starting to get to her. Still in this time frame of 1952 is where she meets 37-year-old retired Yankee superstar Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Now, Joe was way, way into her. She was 25. He was 37. He was almost to the point of obsessed with her, to be perfectly honest with you. She was kind of so-so about the relationship, but his end was way fucking weird. Not even gonna lie, I mean, he was he was borderline obsessed with her. Uh, it is also stated that after she died... Uh, Joe DiMaggio sent roses to her grave for 20 years after her death um, on the anniversary of her death. So that should be known. But the thing about it was, was Joe wanted her to be a housewife. He wanted her to settle down and quit acting. And at 25, when this is when her career is literally just starting to take off. So... And, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Now, this relationship was probably, you know, probably pretty doomed from the start. But on January 14th, 1954, Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio elope in San Francisco. But along with this marriage came a set of rules that Joe DiMaggio had laid down for her. Some of which were he had to approve her movie roles. Uh, she couldn't be half-dressed out in public or, you know, doing any kind of promotional thing or in her movies. And one that she actually agreed with was that he wanted her to get more serious movie roles. Which, like I said, she was totally cool with that because that's what she was trying to do. But also with this, 
comes some physical abuse. Joe was supposedly pretty physically abusive, and uh, Joe DiMaggio Jr. Um, recalls one story about their marriage when he was woken up in the middle of the night to them arguing, and she comes running down the stairs and running out the front door of the house, and Joe DiMaggio goes outside and pretty much drags her back inside by her hair. So, in October of 1954, Marilyn Monroe filed for divorce, stating mental cruelty as the cause, and she decides to take a break from dating for a while, which was probably a good idea. She wanted to keep concentrating on her career. And also, in 1954, Marilyn Monroe does what no other actress at the time had done, and there were not even that many male, you know, actors that had done this either, but she starts her own production company. She starts Marilyn Monroe Productions Incorporated. And like I said, this was very rare for any actor, let alone a female actor at this point in time. She did this because she was tired of Fox typecasting her. She wanted more serious roles. She wanted to be taken more seriously. So she ended up controlling 51% of Marilyn Monroe Productions. And what she wanted from Fox was to produce her own own films. She wanted more money, uh, better conditions, you know, all that good stuff. And Fox retaliates. Fox Studios was fucking major at this time. And they were not going to be pushed around by some blonde you know, actress that is basically a money machine and a sex symbol. So what they do is they start bad-mouthing her in the press. And they start casting other women in her place. Now, these other women who are cast in her place, the movies start tanking, okay? So they decide that they want Marilyn Monroe back. They're like, you know, please come back, please come back. And Marilyn Monroe refuses she wants more money. She wants choice in roles. She wants choice over directors and production. And uh, in 1955, a movie called The Seven Year Itch comes out. And this is a movie that they had shot before this production company came about. And it's a huge fucking success. A huge success. So Fox Studios says, okay, what the fuck do we need? to do to get you back they pretty much come groveling okay so in september fox gives in to her demands and they give her choice of director choice of cinematography story approval uh, her salary is boosted to a hundred thousand dollars a film and she would be allowed to co-produce the movies and following that in december of 1955 marilyn monroe signs an $8 million contract with Fox Studios. And it was great because the press ate it up. Because she literally made a major studio bow to her. You know what I'm saying? They fucking bowed to her. They had no other choice. So for those of you who don't think Marilyn Monroe was a very smart person, she de she most definitely was. Most definitely was. So with this, in 1956, comes the movie Bus Stop. 
it was a very it, the the reviews for this movie were like no other that Marilyn Monroe had ever gotten. It was at this point in time with all the things that she was allowed to control in this movie that the reviews that came back were not like they were before. She ended up being a well-respected actress at this point. She started doing really, really great movies, and she had pretty much proved herself at this point in time, which was pretty much what she wanted. She wanted to be taking, taken seriously as an actress because she had literally put so much work into this that it finally all came together right there. And it is at this time that she marries Arthur Miller, who was a playwright. He wrote um, the play Death of a Salesman. And he is still today considered one of the greatest playwrights of the 20th century. Um, and she is very proud of this marriage because she had found an intellectual, someone who would respect her. Um, obviously, he was quite a bit older than her. And obviously, she did have some daddy issues. You know, let's not let's not bullshit ourselves. But she was very proud of this marriage. Um, it was a very intellectual type marriage, I guess you could say. You know, she's making movies and doing good up until about 1961 at the, when she's at the age of 35. Their relationship, uh, becomes very, very strained, um, because they've had a few miscarriages at this point in time. Marilyn is, into substance abuse pretty hard at this point she's taken a lot of speed she's taken a lot of downers a lot of pills she's drinking champagne all the time you know it's just a bad combination of a lot of things but they were still doing fairly well until Marilyn Monroe finds Arthur Miller's diary and in it there's a spot where he says that he's embarrassed of Marilyn Monroe he's embarrassed to take her around his friends and you know it fucking broke her heart I mean she read that and she was fucking devastated so you know she leaves Arthur Miller and at this point in time she she is alone and this was one of her biggest fears. She had no family whatsoever. And right when she thought she had finally found the man, you know, of her dreams, they were going to try to keep having kids. She's having a lot of miscarriages. She's on pills. She's drinking a lot. Um, she's alone. And it is at this point in time she tries, you know, kind of rekindles her relationship with Joe DiMaggio. Um, they start keeping in touch more often. I think at this point, Joe starts to calm down a little bit. They read poetry together. Um, they, they go out to dinner quite often, and it's actually pretty nice. She actually enjoys it. Now, because of her problems with the substance abuse, she is fired from Fox at this point in time. And this was right around early of 1962. But that did not stop her from JFK's birthday party. Uh, on May 19th, 1962, she shows up in Madison Square Garden and does her ever-famous 
Happy Birthday, Mr. President song. Uh, it is at this point in time as well that the rest of the world is kind of shown the relationship that her and JFK truly did have. There were rumors before this, but it was pretty much solidified right about there. Um, Jackie O tells JFK to, you know, break it off, quit embarrassing the family, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Marilyn Monroe's pretty much thrown to the curb, just like all other women in JFK's life. And she, you know, starts drinking and partying a little bit more. All up until August 5th, 1962. Eunice Murray finds Marilyn Monroe face down on her bed. Eunice Murray calls Marilyn's psychologist, a guy by the name of Ralph Greenson, and they find Marilyn in her room. She had died by a barbiturate overdose. The details of her death are still highly debated. And as you know, that I would not be doing this episode if her death was exactly cut and dry which you will find out in part two. But I will say this. Marilyn Monroe left behind a legacy. She was a sex symbol. She was a fucking movie star. She was everywhere. She is still regarded as one of the most recognizable figures ever. Now let that sink in for a second. This woman right here was given up after at two weeks old. She bounced around to orphanages, foster homes. She basically was just a piece of furniture that they just passed around until she was about 15 or 16 years old. She had been molested, sexually assaulted, and raped numerous times. I mean, at one point, she even said she didn't really enjoy sex. It was just something that she did. And I mean, it's fucking sad, but at the same time, this woman literally came from nothing. To be the first woman in Hollywood to start her own production company and bring a major fucking studio to its knees. And if you can't fucking respect that, I don't know what to tell you. Because it's fucking amazing. She was literally fucking amazing. But like I did mention, there's still a lot of debate surrounding her death. And which we will talk about in part two. So I suppose on that note, I will see you on the flip side. <laughs>